Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from the Rogers Center in Toronto in 11 innings. It's the Cleveland Guardians 10, the Toronto Blue Jays 7. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And you got to say, this was one heck of a series finale. This was one heck of a series, to be honest. Like, this felt like actual competition here, right? The Guardians taking game one, you know, playing some really solid baseball in all phases. The Blue Jays hammering us back in game two. So what happens in game three? Well, game three kind of turns itself into a slugfest. And, uh, you know, both teams go off, uh, you know, for for a bunch of crooked uh, number innings here. But I, frankly, a lot of two-run innings. Uh, here until the Guardians finally blow it open in the top of the 11th. I told you I always love the away team in these extra inning situations. And it proves itself once again. I mean, that fourth spot is almost insurmountable for the Blue Jays, right? They score one in the bottom of the 11th, but it, it didn't matter, you know? Sure, they get a hit off of Emmanuel Classe, whatever. He's already into his second inning of work at this point after he cleaned things up for Sam Henches in the ninth. And, uh, well, they didn't really clean things up for Sam Henches. Uh, you know, Henches uh, faces a lefty, and then he, he strikes out a lefty, and then he's out for Emmanuel Classe. So he throws 27 pitches, goes an inning in two-thirds. Yeah, whatever. The runner from second scores. You know he, you know Classe hates that runner on second base. But with the four-run lead, come on. It's pretty much a gimme at that point uh, in the Guardians' favor. So. Everything leading up to this, I mean, we got lead changes. We got uh, multi-run home runs. If I were to tell you, if I were to tell you that Noah Syndergaard was going to give up three home runs on the game, two of those home runs would be multi-run home runs, and the Guardians would still find a way to win this game, you would not believe me. You would see me on the street and say, absolutely, no way. Show me the box score. No way that's going to work in the Guardians' favor. And yet, they find a way. They find a way. They do uh, They do a little more damage against Kikuchi than they did last time they faced him. I, I looked it up. I was like, oh, I wonder how he did. And uh, I see, oh, he took the loss last time he faced us in Cleveland. Oh, how'd he pitch? Seven innings, three hits, one run, one walk, and six strikeouts. And I'm going, how did he lose that game? So I pulled it up, and it was, sure enough, it was the one nothing game the Guardians won. Like a Ramon Laureano double in the second inning was it. Was was the whole game. Uh, he gave up three hard-hit balls in that game. And the one thing I noticed about going to his player breakdown page in that game is the Guardians had trouble with his four-seam fastball. He threw it 50% of the time. Average exit velocity of 85.4. They only whiffed four times. There were 10 called strikes on it. But there are 14 foul balls and only seven put in play. So they could not, you know, they, they struggled against the four-seam fastball. In this game... Going over to Kikuchi's breakdown page, uh, they once again, now they hit it a little harder, but they struggled against his fastball. He threw it 46% of the time. This time they had an average exit velocity of 95.5, so that's a little better. Only with five times, but they only, they fouled off nine, and they only put three in play. They only put three four-seam fastballs in play. Uh, they were putting the slider in play. They were putting the curveball in play. Uh, yeah, just something about this team. They just don't seem to like hitting fastballs. 
uh, especially off starters. Um, so yeah, I just I, I noticed that Bakakuchi wanted to get that in there uh, at the top of the show. We do more damage against him this time. This time he goes six innings pitched, gives up six hits, uh, four earned runs. Uh, two walks, eight strikeouts. All right, that's pretty good. Uh, and a home run allowed on 96 pitches. He is hard hit this time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. So, uh, you know, Toronto jumps out to an early lead. They put up two in that first inning. It's a walk to Brandon Belt and then a vicious Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Home run, 107.6 mile per hour exit velocity, 31 degree launching, a 415 feet, 30 out of 30 ballparks. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they jump out to an early 2 nothing lead. I swear to God, have the Guardians starting pitchers allowed like first inning runs in, it feels like every game for the last week, right? I know it's not every game. I know there was at least one, you know, Xavier Curry's game of the doubleheader. Uh, where they didn't give up runs in the first inning. But it feels like every single starter is starting in a hole and having to dig their way out of it. Now, we're not going to spend too long uh, belaboring Noah Syndergaard because if you didn't see the news, he's no longer a Cleveland Guardian. He gets DFA'd after this start. Um, the, the plan is uh, apparently Cal Quantrill pitched Decent in his final relief, uh, final uh, rehab assignment with uh, Columbus. In fact, we got an email from Jeff in Columbus, Jeff with a G, uh, who's going to tell us a little bit about the Columbus Clippers. So uh, apparently, Quantrill actually looked okay despite uh, maybe giving up some hard hit balls. And uh, the plan is that he is going to come back and take that roster spot. So, my guess is they're not going to make that move immediately. They'll probably bring up some extra bullpen help until they they have to activate him for a start. So my guess is someone's going to get the call up for you know about three days here and then it'll be back to Quantrill. So uh, we'll see what the corresponding move is there. I don't know if an official transaction uh, has happened at the time of recording this. I'm recording it at midnight uh, after the game today. Uh, okay, let's see. This is interesting here. No, I don't see anything official, anything official yet. So, uh, so we're not going to belabor Noah Syndergaard too long on this podcast and break down this start because it doesn't matter anymore. But the fact is, gave up three home runs. Every run he gave up in this game was via the home run. Uh, so yeah, uh, Guerrero gets him here. He actually settles down until the fifth, the fourth inning, where George Springer gets a solo home run off him. Man, I, Springer likes hitting against us, doesn't he? Uh, he gets a solo home run to kick things off in the fourth inning, and then he leaves him in for the sixth inning. Uh, goes through the uh, heart of the order one more time. Springer with a single, and then Davis Schneider. My God, another home run from Schneider. This one was only 14 out of 30 ballparks. It wasn't It wasn't mashed. It was 95.6 mile per hour exit velocity. Uh, but maybe the roof being open in the Rogers Center helped Schneider get this one out. And I, I went and looked at the leaderboard. I had to do a little finagling with fan graphs here. But just for the month of August... Uh, with minimum plate appearances set to 30 because uh, Schneider's only had 40 plate appearances. Um, 
He is leading Major League Baseball in WRC Plus with 271, better than Mookie Betts for the month of August. He's leading in Bat Bip at 625, better than James McCann. And uh, Wade Meckler for the San Francisco Giants. Does anyone out there, does any of you listeners, any of you morning people know who Wade Meckler is? Because I have no clue. And better than Mookie Betts and Julio Rodriguez. Now, those guys have had way more plate appearances. 102 and 105 plate appearances for those guys. So, much harder for them to get their... It's, it's impressive that their bat bip is as high as it is. Over 500 for Mookie... Or at 500 for Mookie Betts. Uh, as far as ISO goes, Schneider is leading all of baseball. Leading Corey Seager and Brandon Belt uh, and Kerry Carpenter in Detroit, actually. Uh, as far as isolated power goes, ISO... So, yeah, Schneider, for the month of August, is the most powerful hitter in baseball. Um, and, you know, we did good against him the first time in Cleveland, but he's definitely had himself a nice series here uh, at home against us. So, uh, he gets the two-run home run in the sixth inning. And that, that's all the scoring uh, that Syndergaard gives up. Six innings pitched, uh, four hits, that's it. That's not that many at five, but if they're home runs... And crooked number home runs, not good. So five runs given up over his six innings. All right, so I think I got distracted a little bit by the Noah Syndergaard being DFA'd news. And I kind of buried the lead on this one because the top storyline of this game is the offense and what the veterans on this offense were able to do. I mean, look, you may or may not be happy that Cole Calhoun and Ramon Laureano are here. But the fact is, they just went out and won a baseball game for you. Uh, you know, everybody did find ways to contribute. Andres Jimenez had a big hit. Other guys, you know, Tyler Freeman had an RBI in this one. Even Miles Straw finds a way to get an RBI in this one. But uh, there's no denying that Cole Calhoun and Ramon Laureano drove the offense today. I mean, Calhoun goes three for five with three runs scored, two doubles, two RBIs himself. Uh, so, you know, has a hand on five different runs coming across that plate, including a walk. So that's, he's on base four times on the day. Uh, three hard hit balls, does have one strikeout. Ramon Laureano goes three for four on the day. Uh, he also crosses the plate three times himself. He has a double and a home run, drives in two runs, two walks on the day. So he's on base five times on the day. Has one strikeout and three hard hit balls. So. There's no denying the impact that those guys had on the offense. And I believe Ramon Laureano's comments after the game had something to do with, you know, this team's going to continue to battle. It was a great win. And uh, basically his attitude was like, hey, this season isn't over. There's still a month of baseball left. And uh, we get to play the Minnesota Twins next. So we're still playing baseball. And that was his attitude. Like, we're still competing. And so, yeah, I mean, I hate to say it. I know I've kind of been on the, you know, preparing for next year bandwagon here. Or just a wavelength, we'll say, here. But if they somehow go into Minnesota and, like, sweep the Minnesota Twins, you, we're all going to be talking about, like, could they actually win the division? Like, what could happen if they got into the playoffs? Oh, my God, are these pitchers coming healthy again? So, yeah, I... It's it would be wild, but if they swept the twins in this upcoming series, we, we could be having this conversation. So let's get into the offense and let's talk about some of these 
offensive moments for our guys. And man, just a bunch of clutch hitting from our guys. So the scoring starts for us in the third inning, and it's Jose Ramirez, you know, our longtime veteran, our guy, our star, answering back. He gets his second at-bat of the game and answers back for Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s home run with Miles Strong base via a walk. Uh, Stephen Quant hits into a force out and legs out, I believe, if I remember correctly, he legs out the back end of what could have been a double play, beats it out, and uh, sets himself up on base for Jose Ramirez to hit a home run, 104 mile per hour exit velocity, 23 degree launch angle, 396. Uh, would have been a home run in 29 out of 30 ballparks. And uh, let's go to this matchup here. Let's take a look at the home run he hits here. Uh, let's see where this pitch was. It is a curveball, it's a first pitch curveball. Down and into the uh, Ramirez hitting from the right side of the plate. I feel like the home runs have really flown from the right side of the plate for Ramirez. Uh, you know, we always talk about the splits and uh, hitting from the right side of the plate being maybe his weaker side. But the home runs have been there. So against left-handed pitching, uh, he's still only hitting 219. But he has nine of his 21 home runs from that side. So... Still hitting with power from that side. So, yeah, wow, just goes down and gets a curveball here. Uh, Kikuchi doesn't, I mean, he's probably throwing it for a strike. It's the first pitch. Frankly, for a first pitch of the at-bat, this is in the bottom corner of the strike zone. And Ramirez goes down and absolutely blasts it out to left field. So a big home run there. Then we would answer... Uh, right back with more runs in the fourth inning. We would, wouldn't take our foot off the gas pedal. We would come up with some more runs in the fourth inning. Cole Calhoun with a leadoff double, one of his multiple doubles on the day. Ramon Laureano would single. Tyler Freeman would have a single in that inning. Miles Straw would have a single in that inning. So a nice little rally here creates two runs in this inning. And uh, yeah, I would say... Maybe not, you know, we always talk about winning the inning. I definitely think we win the middle of the ball game here. I mean, so they score too early. Uh, they get off to a nice lead. We score four runs across the third and the fourth. They do answer with a solo home run in the fourth. But I would say we kind of win the middle of the game here. Uh, they wouldn't be able to answer back until the sixth inning uh, where they would retake the lead. So uh, a good job here, good job by the offense of putting together a nice little rally. Uh, Freeman single would drive in Calhoun. Oriana would go to third, and then Straw would get his RBI single on a line drive to center field. So nice piece of hitting there from Miles Straw. All right, but the real excitement would kick in in the eighth inning. Now, when the Blue Jays took the lead, be honest, did, did you think this team had the fight to come back and actually get back into this game? It was a one-run game. It was five to four lead. Uh, you know, a lot of times we we say get to that four or five run mark, and you know the pitching's usually can hold up to that. But I guess not with Syndergaard making the start. Uh, so you know, at four to two, I was feeling pretty comfortable. At five to four, oof, I didn't know about it. But uh, again, the middle of the order just absolutely dominating this game. So the eighth inning here. Uh, you get uh, Cole Calhoun gets on via the walk. Ramon Laureano with a double. All right, we now we got something cooking. We got runners. 
Uh, and the second and third, nobody out. We got something cooking for Andres Jimenez here. And frankly, I, this is the antithesis of the put the ball in play and good things can happen philosophy, right? I mean, Andres Jimenez hits this thing at 54.9 mile per hour exit velocity. He hits this thing, uh, and this is, I believe, against my, uh, is it against my or Romano coming at this point in the game? Uh, 54.9 mile per hour exit velocity, 100 expected batting average. That's it. But it goes over the first base bag, skips and hops over the first base bag, and uh, goes into right field corner for two RBI double. And, I mean, it's one of those situations where you just have to feel like it's better to be lucky than good sometimes. Uh, it was still against Tim Meza. Uh, Romano would come in after this at bat. So, yeah. I mean, Andres Jimenez, uh, we can look at the pitch location here. But he absolutely gets jammed inside. Uh, we know he likes uh, he likes inside pitches. Let's be honest. He, he likes inside pitches. Once again, this is a first pitch. Uh, man, everyone, every at-bat I look at, it's a first pitch swinging uh, situation here. But it's a two-seam sinker, 95-ish mile, you know, just under 95, 94.6 mile per hour uh, inside two-seam fastball. And he decides to go after it. Now, it is elevated, so I understand why he thought he might be able to drive this thing. But the truth is, he doesn't drive it. He just... Gets it to hop and skip over the bag and gets that RBI, two RBI double, and gives the Guardians the lead. So uh, a huge at-bat here from Andres Jimenez uh, in a clutch situation. We needed a clutch hit here. And uh, Romano would be able to get the rest of the, uh, would be able to put away the rest of the inning. He would get Tyler Freeman to fly out. He would walk Eric Haas, and then he would strike out Straw and Quan to end the threat. But the Guardians are able to jump back and take the lead. And this is where, if you're just a fan of baseball, things get fun. Because uh, the uh, Blue Jays have an answer right back. And, of course, Davis Schneider again uh, with the uh, double in the left field. Uh, Varsho is able to single and drive him in. Varsho's not a great hitter. Uh, let's be honest here. He's kind of their mile straw at the bottom of their order. Uh, although, where was he hitting in this game? Uh, he was kind of in the middle, right? Yeah, he's their weak hitting center fielder. He's got a 223 batting average, a 669 OPS. He, uh, him and Kiermaier kind of share center field, uh, but he's their light hitting outfielder. He's their mile straw, and he delivers an RBI single here uh, in the eighth inning. Uh, to tie things up. So uh, the bullpen cannot hold the one-run lead. Uh, Stefan blows the save. His seventh on the season. Boy, those blown saves are really starting to add up. And uh, they tie the game up. He gets the double play to get out of the inning, but they tie it up. Uh, Brennan would single. Ramon Laureano would walk. Andres Jimenez would have a chance to be the hero again in the ninth inning, except this time he's facing Yimmy Garcia again. And remember, Garcia came in yesterday and uh, struck out the side, right? So uh, in, in a bases-loaded situation. And so Yumi Garcia comes in again with runners on base. And uh, again, it's high-ish fastballs. It's, it's a much longer at-bat. And it's low curveballs. And once again, that low down-and-in curveball. The thing that's so frustrating about this at-bat 
is that on the sixth pitch of this at-bat, he lays off the curveball down and in. He lays off to make it a full count and then chases the exact same pitch. It's boggling how the mind will do that, right? How did Andres Jimenez read this curveball out of the zone and then the ex- almost the exact same pitch? This time he chases it. It's mind-boggling how the human brain works, right? The fact that he can't pick this ball up twice and take that walk. Yimmy Garcia, once again, comes into a situation with inherited runners and gets a strikeout. It's unbelievable, uh, his dominance in this series. Um, and he actually stays in and pitches a whole nother inning and ends up with an inning and a third, no hits, no runs, three strikeouts. Um, so, yeah, Yimmy Garcia having himself a pretty good day. All right, so uh, this thing ends up an extra inning. Somehow nobody scores in the 10th. Um, and, uh, it, we, uh, we actually, uh, actually a leadoff double. We survive a leadoff double on the ninth, uh, and get out of it. A ground, a double play ground ball saves us. Um, oh, the ninth inning. I knew the ninth inning was big. I knew there was something in the ninth inning we had to talk about. And it was the Kevin Biggio bunt. It was the great play by Cal Calhoun def- defensively. So not only did Calhoun do it with the bat, Okay, look, we've been hard on Calhoun's first base defense, right? He's not great at you know picking the ball, not great at those scoops, those one-hop throws. However, he makes a pretty good play here. So Kevin Biggio tries bunting with the uh tries pushing it with the left-handed pitcher on the mound, Henches tries pushing it to his right, um, into that kind of no man's land and second base that we've seen people get base hits before. Um, but uh Calhoun is on his horse, he's off. And running at first base, he is able to get to the ball and not only get to the ball, but he's able to read the plays. He's able to read the catcher, Danny Jansen, probably not known as a fast runner, I'm guessing, just based on the position he plays defensively. But Danny Jansen trying to get to third base. Calhoun reads it properly. He's a little off balance, but he makes a strong throw to Ramirez, and Ramirez is able to slap that tag on him, and they get that lead runner. So a leadoff double in the ninth inning which should have been real problems for the Guardians in a tie ball game. They get that lead runner and then and then get that ground ball double play. So that is just that is huge. That is huge for uh a defensive play there uh for your Guardians for Cole Calhoun to save the game in the ninth inning. All right, it's a it's a pitiful 10th inning, strikeout from Tyler Freeman, strikeout from Bo Naylor and a ground out from Miles Straw, pretty weak there. They have the middle. I mean, they have the heart of their order up against Class A, and uh, does Class A come in? Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, he stays in. Henches stays in to face Brandon Belt. The lefty strikes him out. Then Class A goes in to face Gret, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Kiermaier. Gets a pop out and a ground out. So we shut him down in the tenth inning. I mean. Talk about really having the advantage. If you can hold the team from scoring in the top of the 10th, that home team, it's almost a guarantee they're going to walk away with the win. And we get out of it. And then with two outs, uh, Quan, uh, they walk Ramirez. Brennan strikes out. Uh, he had gone in as a pinch hitter. So it's nice to see him back in game action. Um, he did, Didn't Brennan have a hit in this one? He did. He went one for three after pinch hitting for Gonzalez in the middle of the game. Um so nice to see him back in there. It's with two outs, it's back to the veterans. And Cole Calhoun delivers the double. Uh, a huge moment, breaks the tie in the uh, 11th inning here. 
And then Ramon Laureano. Uh, you know, he he's a home he can hit some home runs. Uh, let's just say that. Ramon Laureano, uh, he might not be what Josh Bell was, what we you know, what we thought we were getting from Josh Bell, right? Uh, this this power hitter, the guy who's gone on to Miami and gone on an absolute offensive tear. But Ramon Laureano was looked at for a while in Oakland because he did have pop in center field. And so uh, Calhoun drives in uh, Straw and Ramirez to score, making it a two-run game, which is good. But, you know, still anyone in the Blue Jays could have hit a home run to kick things off uh, in the 11th inning and tied the game up themselves. They're known to hit home runs. So uh, it, it was huge. Ramon Laureano. Uh, let's take a look at this at bat. I believe it was maybe a slider or something that comes back into the middle of the plate from Jay Jackson. And uh, yeah, it was a slider. It was down, but it was middle of the plate. It was at the thighs, but middle of the plate. And uh, he hits this thing at 104.4 off a right-handed pitcher. You know, we had talked about how he kind of been beating up on lefties, not as great against righties. Uh, so more of a platoon guy, but Loriano right on right gets the home run here. 104.4 miles per hour, 24 degree launch angle, 391 feet out to left center field. And I mean, that was, that was the big one. That was the one that it put away the Toronto crowd. It, I mean, frankly, it put away the Toronto Blue Jays. They are able to, uh, get that run in a score on a sack fly, uh, that runner from second in the top of the. 11th inning, but they don't got much else after that. Uh, the sack fly and then two strikeouts from Class A to finish things off. Uh, Danny Jansen and Kevin Biggio. Uh, how does he get Jansen here? Uh, wow, just pounding him with cutters. And finally just blows one by him in the middle of the strike zone at 98.8. And then Kevin Biggio, again, pounding cutters in there. And eventually, oh, that's right, gets the called strike at the top of the strike zone. Um but I haven't even talked about this. The home plate umpire was absolutely terrible. Uh, it, it, I mean, what can I say about it? He was terrible for both teams. So you know, what's the point of complaining? Um, it looks like the Guardians, except for Class A, the Guardians didn't have many called strikes that are out of the strike zone as far as stat cast go. The Guardians pitchers, that is. Uh, Kikuchi definitely got a couple of called strikes outside of the strike zone there. A couple of wide ones. So did Jordan Romano. Um, so and maybe the Guardian hitters had a little bit more to complain about than the, uh, than the Blue Jays hitters did. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure the umpire report, uh, is not too pretty on that guy yesterday. So a called strike finishes things off and the Guardians walk away with a W. Ooh, uh, MVP on the day. Uh, it, it's, it's tight between Cole Calhoun and Ramon Laureano. I'm giving Calhoun the edge just because, hear me out, hear me out, the great defensive play in the ninth inning. Plus, it is his hit that broke the tie in the 11th. Ramon Laureano's is the icing on the cake, um, which, hey, we all love the icing on the cake, right? It's our favorite part of the cake, but... Cole Calhoun is the one that broke the tie. He did make the great defensive play to save the game in the ninth inning because they get that runner to third. There's a lot of ways for him to come in and score. We talk about it all the time. Runner on third, less than two outs. There are a lot of ways to score. So huge from Cole Calhoun there. So I'm giving him MVP on the day. Just a slight edge over Ramon Laureano. All right. So a shout out to the bullpen who, I mean, I know Stefan gives up the one run, but still is able to hold it at just one run. 
Uh, so a great job of the bullpen there going uh, four or five innings there to uh, close out the game. Uh, clearly outdueling the Blue Jays bullpen uh, in this one. So, uh, you know, many facets to the game and winning the bullpen battle usually is a good indication of who's going to win the game, uh, especially when the starters were both kind of just meh on the day. All right, uh, let's uh, let's turn things over to the emailers because I got a ton of emails yesterday, and I am loving it. First off, uh, Tony. Tony always sends short but sweet emails. That's his That's his MO. He said, so do they fly Syndergaard back to Cleveland to get his stuff, or is it, well, see ya, bro? <laughs> I would imagine you got to bring the guy back to Cleveland, especially I haven't even seen. I'll give you a little uh, behind-the-scenes uh, information here. I did start recording this episode at midnight after the, uh, on Sunday night. I'm now finishing this episode uh, late Monday morning. Uh, it has been it was an adventure. It was an adventure getting the little guy to sleep. It was an adventure getting the little guy to stay asleep. And uh, I'm really stringing out how long it's taken to record this episode. Uh, so as even on Monday morning, I don't see the official transaction for Syndergaard yet on MLB's page. So. Uh, I'm guessing you probably fly the guy back to Cleveland, right? I have a heart, Tony. Have a heart. I hope they flew him back. And what we could say about Syndergaard's tenure here in Cleveland, uh, I mean, and you feel bad for the guy. You just you feel bad for where he is mentally with the game right now. And you just have to you just have to hope he find, finds his smile, like finds his passion for the game again, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, maybe he just becomes a, maybe he becomes a bullpen guy. Maybe someone moves him into the bullpen, and he could be effective out of the bullpen for for a few years. I, I don't know. Uh, it's hard when when guys are when guys are great. When guys can throw as hard as he could throw in his prime, and when it goes away, it's tough. It's tough. Um, so you feel for the guy. I don't know if Cal Quantrill is going to give us any better innings than Noah Syndergaard was giving us. I mean, Syndergaard was at least going like six innings every game. He was eating innings. He was doing the thing we literally said he was here for, to eat innings so that we didn't blow out the bullpen, so the rookie pitchers, there wasn't too much on their plate. Uh, and now that's going to be Cal Quantrill's job uh, coming back. And Cal's had a terrible season. So I don't know if things are going to get much better. But, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you, Tony, for emailing in. Uh, Jeff with a G. Um was sending an email in as the game was ending. Uh, he said, as I'm typing this email, we just took the lead in the top of the 11th. Wow, both Cal and Ramon Ramon come through huge. What a fun game so far. Fingers crossed Class A can close it down. Jose with another home run and several other hard hits today. I think he's been getting robbed a lot lately. Does BAPIP show this? Can you look into his expected batting averages of late? You know what, Jeff? I did do this deep dive for you. And I had to go two different places to find it. So I can tell you that on StatCast, they have this thing called the rolling expected batting average. Basically, they show over the last 200 at-bats, actually over the last couple hundred at-bats, what his expected batting average, how that graph has been moving, how that line has been moving on his expected batting average. And I can say uh, it took quite a dip there in the middle of uh, July. His expected batting average fell all the way down to 272. And it has climbed ever since. So he definitely hit a low in the middle of July. And his expected batting average has been on the rise ever since. 
hovering around 300 right now. Now, with that said, if we go over to Fangraphs, who's got the graph on his bat bip and the rolling bat bip, I can tell you that the batting average on balls in play has actually been falling since this goes back. His peak was kind of at the end of June, and it's been falling ever since. So that means, yeah, if his expected batting average is going up, but the actual batting average on balls in play is going down, that means he has been getting a little bit unlucky, right? That's got to be what it means. Um, so, yeah, the bat bip has fallen. It's kind of below league average. Uh, I mean, the rolling bat bip is down to 191. I don't think that's what his true bat bip is right now on the season. But the rolling one is down there. Uh, his BAPIP right now is at 276 on the season. Um, so uh, the rolling one, I'm guessing, is looking at smaller sample sizes uh, and showing where it is at any given moment. So, uh, yeah. So that's what's going on with Jose Ramirez. So, yeah, I would say he's getting a little bit unlucky lately. Uh, you know, the, I, I know uh, some of you don't believe in protection in the lineup, but I got to imagine I, he clearly is getting intentionally walked a ton right now. Uh, so that's got to be affecting him, too. Um, all right. Jeff also checked in because Jeff is our correspondent from Columbus. So he also checked in. Uh, he went to the Clippers game. So he kind of gave us a little report from the Clippers game. He said the Clippers won easily against the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Gotta love those minor league names. Cal Quantrill pitched seven innings. He looked pretty good. Only gave up a few hits. I think one run. However, I would say Jacksonville did make hard contact contact off him. So I'm a little concerned what that means when he's back up in Cleveland. Well, I hope for the best because I really do like Cal. Rocchio at shortstop and Tanya at second base. Both had great days defensively and hitting. We have to package some of these middle infielders, No. Jonathan Rodriguez, Joensky Noel, and George Valera are all big, powerful bats that could play outfield in DH. It'll be interesting to see how they continue to develop and if they get a chance to debut in Cleveland at all in September. Finally, while I was watching Cal warm up before the game, I got to see Joey Cantillo toss the ball around and hang with some other pitchers. I get superstar vibes from that kid. Hard-throwing lefty would look amazing in our Guardians rotation. Yeah, Cantillo is a name that I have been kind of keeping my eye on. He he is a name I'm looking out for there. So uh, he also says, Jeff finishes by saying, Clippers Stadium is a wonderful, family-friendly, affordable experience. I encourage all fans of baseball to try and catch a game there. Yeah, Jeff, back in my Ohio State days, uh, I went to the old Clippers Stadium. In fact, uh, they might have even been the Yankees affiliate at the time and not even our affiliate at the time. Uh, but I've never been to the new one that they built uh, right in the heart of downtown there. Um, so, yeah, I, I hear great things, though, about the experience down there. So uh, thank you, Jeff with a G, for checking in. As far as Rodriguez, Noel, and Valera go, it's it's going to be interesting to see if any of them get the September call-up because it's limited. It's not like the rosters are blown out to 40 like they used to, where they just used to call everybody up. Uh, I think they only get to add two more players. So I would guess... It's either going to be someone like Rokio uh, coming back up, but it would be interesting to see one of those three power hitters maybe get an opportunity to taste the major leagues. Maybe George Valera. He's the guy we've been. Valera is the guy we've been waiting on. Joensky Noel is the one that like has the biggest question mark, but like could go either way. Like, is is he going to be like David Ortiz, or is he going to be like I hate to say this, Oscar Gonzalez? 
Uh, and Jonathan Rodriguez is the one we've, I feel like we've heard the least about, but might be the most powerful of them all. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I'm, now I'm talking about them like they're superheroes, right? The most powerful of them all. Um, all right. And then uh, Marlon is checking in with his game report. It was a nice effort by the Guardians to persevere against both the Blue Jays and Tito's awful management. Man, he just hammers Tito, doesn't he? I appreciate everything Tito has done, but it's time for him to move on. This is by far and away his worst managerial effort in his Cleveland tenure. I believe Marlon's talking about the season as a whole. Yesterday, I mentioned how he put Morris in a position to fail. Today, he does the same thing for Thor. I thought he should have pulled Thor after the fifth inning, but I was okay with giving him a short leash in the sixth. Once he gave up the infield hit to Springer, he shouldn't have gone to the bullpen and been content with his five and plus innings of work. Instead, he leaves him in to give up a two-run homer to Davis Schneider and allow Toronto to take the lead. In the seventh inning, he didn't call for Straw to bunt on an ill of all the ill-advised bunts, Straw needed to bunt in this situation. He'd already had one hit in this game. The odds of him getting two hits were slim to none. At least bunt Haas over to second with Quan and Jose Ramirez coming to bat. Jose Ramirez's hit should have tied the game. Um, yeah, you know, Straw, for some reason, Terry Francona just believes that Miles Straw is going to get hit every time he's up, no matter what the data says. He believes Straw is a base hit guy and I the none of the data supports that we all know straw is a weak hitting center fielder but for some reason Tito just sticks with him no matter what um all right so he goes on to hammer Tito for a little bit more um and then he points out that I I, I hate that we have to keep bringing this up but will Brennan accidentally killed a bird earlier this season and Marlon says the Guardians have fared very well against MLB's birds. With today's win, the Guardians win the season series 4-3 against the Blue Jays. They also won the series against the Cardinals 2-1 and lead the series against the Orioles 2-1. Um, the Guardians have hung tough against the vaunted MLB East this season. They are 12-13 with six games left to play. Here's the season records versus AL East teams. 2-4 versus the Yankees, 4-3 against the Blue Jays, 3-3 three three versus the Red Sox, 1-2 versus the Rays with three home games remaining, and 2-1 and versus the Orioles with three-game home set remaining. Honestly, Marlon, I thank you for bringing that to my attention because I did not know, I would not have guessed we were near 500 against the AL East. AL East. The way they've been beating up on the entire league, the fact that any one of those teams would be running away with the American League Central, I would have thought it would have been much worse than that. So, that would actually, I would actually be impressed if we end the season with a winning record against the AL East. All right, continuing to check the email box, uh, uh, Jeff with a J, Jeff from Palo Alto has another uh, tough discussion question for me that I think I'm going to save Jeff. I'm going to hang on to it, but he did say fun series this weekend, especially today's game. Seemed like the ball was jumping out to left on what was a coolish day up there. Didn't I read something about renovations to the dome dramatically reducing scoring? Didn't seem like it this afternoon. Yeah, I think they did some things to affect the height of walls and things like that. Um, and I do know that there is a big difference with that roof closed versus having that roof open. So uh, thank you, Jeff, for emailing in. I'm going to take some time to think about your discussion question, and maybe we'll save it uh, for tomorrow. So thank you so much, Jeff, for the email. And like I said, the emailers were on it. Uh, Marlon did throw out a name for a potential Tito replacement. 
He said, what are your thoughts on Mark DeRosa being the replacement manager? He has a little bit of experience after managing Team USA in the 2023 World Baseball Classic. Shout out to Quincy Wheeler, Zach Meisel, and TJ Zuby for suggesting him. Also, what about Jose Ramirez as a player manager? Baseball hasn't had a player manager in decades, and this would be the most out-of-the-box hire in a long time. He doesn't have experience, but Jose is one of the most beloved sports figures at Cleveland and has a great mind and feel for the game. All right, what I'll say is it would be ridiculously fun if Jose Ramirez or anyone became a player manager again. However, Jose seems to enjoy his position in the dugout, right? He seems to enjoy holding court at the end of the dugout in his spot. I don't think he wants to be in and making the decisions a manager does. I think Jose has enough on his plate. He focuses on enough things. Um, I, I mean, his his dedication to hitting and being the great offensive player that he is, uh, I think is enough. I, I think he likes being the clubhouse leader. I don't think he wants that responsibility of being manager. So, it's a fun idea, Marlon, but I just don't think uh, Jose really wants that. Uh, as far as Mark DeRosa goes, honestly, um, so you gave a shout-out to Quincy Wheeler, who does another Guardians podcast. He writes uh, some Guardians articles for one of the uh, one of the websites, and one of the local websites, and uh, he wrote out a list of, I'm telling you, like 20 possible names for manager, like... It is so hard to narrow it down last night. My buddy was asking me this uh, hanging out yesterday, and I was like, honestly, baseball, there's so many names to pull from. I mean, you've got three guys on your own staff that legitimately could be interviewed for the job. You've got your own minor league managers. You've got hitting coaches and and, uh, bench coaches all over the league uh, that are ready to step up and take on that managerial role. There are legitimately 20 to 30 possible names out there. So to speculate on one particular name right now in August when Tito hasn't officially announced his retirement, it's a futile effort. I, I'm sure Mark DeRosa, yeah, if he managed Team USA, I he probably has a future somewhere managing. Will it be right to the major league level or will he have to manage it, you know, double A and triple A and uh, you know, work his way up like a lot of other guys are doing right now? Um, you know, they threw out, uh, Quincy threw out in his article, some other former guardians who are, uh, who are coaching in the minors right now, like Shelly Duncan and Mike Napoli. Like those were legitimate names thrown out there. Um, so yeah, so a lot, you're going to hear a ton of names if this Francona retirement does happen. So, uh, hang in there. It's not automatically going to be Sandy Alomar Jr. That I, there, there are way, way, way too many names that are out there right now. So uh, hang in there. Marlon, hang in. And take all the rumors in, but take them with a grain of salt, knowing that it's going to be a long process. So thank you for the emails, everybody. Uh, thank you for understanding this long episode that's coming out a little bit late on Monday morning. But uh, we got it done. We talked through the game. We got through the emails. We got it done. And we even got a little sleep in between some of these segments. So Uh, Thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Hey, we just went up to Toronto and won a series against the Blue Jays. Pretty fun series, too. Let's, let's, Let's just be glad for fun baseball to end our summer with, right? How about a shout out that? How about MVP on the day is just a fun baseball game? All right, uh, the final again from Toronto. It's the Guardians 10, the Blue Jays 7. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. Email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. And thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.